When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 291 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and that's Levon, a.k.a. Barcelev. And as much as we've had a lot of negativity, a lot of boo-hoo after these podcasts, I think it's going to be a good one today, Levon. I think yesterday we felt the kind of emotion we haven't felt in a very, very long time. And that is, what's the word? Hope. Hope. Man, there's always hope. There's always hope. Ye- yesterday was more about just, just happiness, period. And you were there at the stadium. I mean, we're on Ansu Fati's goal. We're gonna, we're, that's where we're starting. That's what we're talking about. We're beginning with Ansu Fati on the rundown for all those who, who weren't watching or living under a rock yesterday. But you were there, right? What was, I mean, what I, was the feel? What was the, the, yeah, I mean, what was the energy there after that goal was scored? No, the energy, the energy was pretty good the whole game. Like, not just after the goal was scored, because people lost, like, we all lost their mind. I was sitting next to a person, next to a Brazilian guy who lives in, and it was his first time in the Come Now. And whenever I go to the camp now, the, the place is so empty. I pretty much go and sit wherever I want to sit. And then he was like looking for a good spot also. And I was like, oh, you know, come, come sit with me. Uh, and we watch it together. He actually recorded me after Ansu scored because he was like taking a lot of videos. And I should hit him up because I have his number. So I should hit him up for the video and I can, I can see my reaction because I'm pretty sure I cried. Yeah. Like well- my, my eyes were wet. Let's put it that way. Well, to give something special for our podcast listeners, if anyone was joining me on the FC Barcelona official Twitch page, we the feed that we were using from our producer was a bit grainy. So I was actually using my own ESPN feed on my computer. And so my feed was about five seconds 
before the feed that we were watching along with. So as the goal, as the turnover happens, as he turns and as he's dribbling 1v1, I'm, I'm like watching the other screen. I'm watching, you know, my, my screen that's ahead. And as the goal was scored, I put my hands to my mouth because I now have to wait for my co-host for six seconds to see it. So you'll see oh my me God. go like this on the feed. And for those, for those, I mean, I'll probably put this as a watch. So I put my hands up to my mouth because I, I mean, I didn't want to, just yell or I, I, so I, I basically hit it. And then I, I mean, my wife said it's completely sociopathic the way I did this. She like, I internalized that emotion and then relived it six seconds later with everybody else as if I was watching it in live time, which is, I mean, so I really, I felt like I lived it twice, but to me, it wasn't even that he scored the goal. It wasn't about all the fanfare of the debut, but just watching from afar and the emotion of what that meant. Sure. It, it meant his, everything for his debut, but the goal itself, that's what I want to speak about. The fact that, yeah, the bounce was lucky that it kind of got into his path and he was able to turn on it and then sprint up field. But every fear that we had, I mean, who knows what it looks like over 90 minutes. We don't know if he's match fit, but we do know that you can't unlearn some of the things that he knows how to do. And that is to take a run with the ball, to change his pace, wait for the defense to collapse, see the run from Memphis, get his ball, get the ball on his left foot bring it to his right. But instead of waiting for the defender to readjust and try to spin it around the defender, he hits it so quickly and so well, low and hard as the defender is turning, there's no shot that the goalkeeper has. It also shades him. I mean, the goal itself was, I mean, better than advertised. The goal itself was so good. And and, I mean, I think if anything, that's what I can't seem to, in my mind, as excited I am to see Ansu back, uh, I mean, to make his return. Yeah, that's all emotional, but the goal itself was like, oh, not only is uh, it's almost a, a reminder that Ansu Fati is the number 10 shirt at Barcelona for a reason. The club almost backs up the fact that he's wearing number 10 because he can do things like that. That I mean, if Luke de Jong did that, our eyes would fall out of our heads if he had a goal like that. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I want to say that you should have called the goal because you would have looked like the man. You shouldn't have held back. You should have called it five seconds before they scored. Well, I did call it. That's what I mean. That's, that, that was a sociopathic part. I called it as if I was watching it in live time. So as, 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 as I watched- No, the, you should have called it five seconds earlier. That's what I did. I went onto, onto, onto. And like, I, as I'm calling oh, okay. it, I'm, right. So yeah, for those who are watching on Twitch, maybe even go and check that out. Uh, my wife clipped it because she's like, she wants people to know that I'm, I'm a little off my rocker. But anyway, <laughs> yes. <laughs> about about Ansu, what I liked most was um, there, there was just a fearlessness about him from, from the moment that he got on. He was not afraid of, uh, of going in and going hard. He was not afraid of, of challenging for the ball. He was not afraid of getting uh, getting fouled. The other thing is that he looked really fast. Yeah. Like he looked faster than I remember him being, actually, because speed has never been his greatest weapon. It's more his timing and his positioning and his finishing. But um, he, he looked fast. He was not afraid of changing directions at all, uh, which is something that, you know, if, if you're afraid of your knees, then that is something that you might be a little bit more careful, uh, careful with. And yeah, his goal is fierce. His goal is just fierce. I mean, the, and we've talked about this earlier. The biggest challenge for our club is to make sure that Ansu Fati stays at the club and him coming back after more than 10 months out and scoring within 10 minutes shows exactly why, man. That, that was just amazing. And I can totally, ima- I can totally imagine Messi watching that goal and feeling a bit sad that he left to Paris, not blaming Messi here for, for leaving. Right. But I can imagine Messi seeing that goal and with, 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 with some, some regret, with a tinge of regret for not being here 
to to live that moment with our future. Yeah, and even the the picture afterwards and the reaction from his teammates. There mm. throughout this post Messi era, there are going to be this watershed moments of these 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 landmark moments in our minds. Like so, for me, that first goal that PK scored in the post Messi era, if you will, was so huge because when that goal was scored on the header, I felt like okay, that's the first breath that first exhale we get to take in the post Messi era. And then Memphis scores his first goal. And it's like, oh, okay, there are other attackers. There are other forwards in this team in the post Messi era. And then this goal from Fatih is, it's not even a, a handing of the baton, a changing of the guard. It's that there will be talent at FC Barcelona. It's going to continue on. We're okay in the post Messi era. Uh, and and Fatih, and it's not just Ansu, but you saw where, when Memphis was making that run on the left side, and there was a combination even before that, about two minutes before that, prior to, when there was a combination with Memphis and, and Ansu. And it was that first taste of, hey, it's that reminder that it's not just all the expectations on Fatih, but the partnership with Memphis and Ansu this year between the left and the center, whoever wants to be wherever they want to be, because Ansu scored that goal straight down the middle. I mean, number nine, number seven, number 11, it, who cares? It doesn't matter. It's all about position and fluidity. And can you be in that defensive shape when you turn the ball back over? But if you put the ball in the back of the net, you don't have to worry about that. And so mm-hmm. Ansu going right up the gut to score that goal while he really was the left winger and Memphis had moved over to the nine doesn't really matter because when that run was made, when all that conspired, it was Memphis out wide getting his position incorrect. And I mean, if, if Ansu hadn't scored there, it wouldn't have been assist to Memphis because of just right. how wide open Memphis became because of the space that Ansu creates. And that's kind of what I had said with Kevin early in the week, that the minimum, the base minimum, even if Ansu didn't come back at, we don't, we still can't say he's hundred percent because he's still not 90, 90 minutes match fit. Sure. But if he's even 80%, the fear of Ansu Fati around La Liga, what everybody knows that he's physically capable of that Luke de Young isn't, it just, it opens up so much space for everybody else. And so a lot of those misses for, for Kadith that Memphis had, which were disappointing, but he had to get them right. There's so much more space and time now with Ansu, just the gravitational pull. It's also going to open up space on the wings too. We talked about Dembele and Ansu out there. You just saw in those 10 minutes that, uh, I mean, Sergino Dest, who we'll get to later, the space that he had when Ansu came on the field, because now instead of shading over a little bit, expecting Coutinho to cut into the middle or, you know, being able to get into their low block shape, now you always have to have two defenders out wide to deal with the overlapping fullback and Ansu Fati every time. Two, and then that third defender, that center back, always has to keep one eye out because somebody is going to need help with between Dest and Fati or Alba and Fati, whoever it may be. And th- it's a numbers game. And as simple as it is, football makes, I mean, Ansu makes football easier for FC Barcelona just by existing, just by being what he is physically at 70 or 80%. Right. Because breath rate and um, Luke de Jong up front don't really install fear in into the hearts of a defense. What, what I do think is interesting here is that um, Memphis and Ansu Fati seem to have a genuine connection. Yeah. Um, both on and off the pitch. Like uh, I think Memphis was posting pictures of the two of them together on his Instagram and whatnot. Uh, you also saw like when, when Ansu scored, you saw how excited Memphis was for him. Uh, which is kind of cool because Memphis is like the new guy uh, on, on, on the squad, but everybody always says about how, um, talks about how well he fits in and the positive vibe that he brings to everybody. And you saw that he was genuinely like super excited and super happy that that answer scored. There was also another, um, another part which um, might not have made the, the broadcast where Ansu Fati was warming up on the sidelines and the crowd was go. The crowd was yelling, "Ansu Fati, 
one, two, Fati. And there was this moment where Memphis was also on the sidelines uh, because of, I, I, I don't remember if it, was, if, if it was a corner or, or a throw-in. And he looked at Ansu Fati and he also clapped along, with the, clapped along with the crowd. It was just a little moment, but it was just uh, very, very cool to see. Um, and I think that in the team, it looks as if Memphis and uh, Ronald Araujo have adopted Fati. Right. And ironically, oh. Araujo is only three years older than, than Fati anyway, or, or three yeah, and a half but, years older. Yeah, but that matter. guy that guy is the heart of a lion, man. Oh, my I know. God. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no. to the Ansu thing, let's, let, let's bid us in the, the broader picture that I, I don't think it was, and people say dangerous, as if me speaking English, and I, I don't know how well Ansu Fati speaks English, but I, I don't think Ansu, for all the people that listen to the show, thank you, but I don't think Ansu is one of our listeners. And, you know, we wonder about expectations and speak about expectations. And I kept saying throughout the weeks and the months recently, even, even with before Messi left, that Ansu Fati and his recovery and what he could be when he returned was going to be the key to Barcelona's season. And I mean, obviously, the, the, the key to their next five to 10 years at this point. And yeah, there are new talents coming up every year, but Ansu is just that important and just that special. You know, you could tell not only by the records, but he is that he is that special. And so the expectations, and we always say, oh, we have to be careful about the expectations you put on him. But not only is the number 10 jersey, yeah, it means something. I already made a YouTube video about how the number 10 until Ronaldo and Messi didn't really mean much at Barcelona. Thor Maradona wore it and Kabbalah a little bit, but, uh, you know, the point stands. But the, the point is, what can Fati handle as the expectations for him on the season? And I don't think with Memphis up top and with some of the other players like a Pedri, even like a Gabi being 17, I feel like there isn't the pressure and won't be the pressure on him behind the scenes to be the number one player. And he can just be that soft number one player for Barcelona. But I, I think at this point, at this juncture, I can rest my head on the fact that Ansu Fati is Barca's maybe not best player, but most important player. And the expectations for him to be Barca's best player, I don't think aren't that crazy because for this squad this season, it's actually not hard for him to be that best. I mean, be the best player. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I got that. That didn't make a lot of sense, but please make some sense of what I said. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. 
And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think Ansu Fati is doing a terrible job at lowering our expectations. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> He's completely failing. Yeah, right, right. I, I don't know if we have to talk about uh, in, in terms of best player, because best player can mean so many things. Right. And is he still 18? He'll be 19 October 31st. He'll yeah, be 19 so soon. About a month. Uh, I mean, Messi was our best player when he was 19. And Ansu Fati, as special as he is, he's still not messy, nor will he ever be, nor should anybody ever, yeah, no one ever uh, expect, will be. expect him to be. But he's pretty darn special. I just want, I think most people will be happy if he stays healthy. That's, that's the concern right now. He'll, he'll have like, uh, he'll score goals. It's okay if he doesn't score every week, you know, because it's not like, yeah, he has Memphis. Um, hopefully, Dembele will come back healthy as well. But it's not the same being in a in a, in a team with with Messi and Griezmann, or with Dembele and and Memphis, in terms of you know that those expectations and what people uh, expect from the forward line, like Messi, and after that, Griezmann will always like carry most of the weight on their shoulders, and whatever Ansu did was pretty much a bonus, right? Now, he doesn't have Messi or Griezmann anymore to take that weight. So, yeah, some of it might be hoisted up on, onto his shoulders, especially him choosing to wear the number 10. Uh, first of all, I think he's ready. He's shown it. Second of all, I think that, you know, uh, the team must help, as in if the team plays well, it will help him a lot. If the team is, uh, is poor, I don't think people will single out Fatih for being yeah. poor along with the team. You know, that's, that's the advantage of being 18, 19 years old. 
Well, yeah, and I think that that's I think that's the difference, right? That when we say weight and we say pressure, I think one of the other, I mean, basically what we're saying is consistency, right? That when you have Messi Griezmann in your squad, you expect consistently, match after match, to go out and have some kind of baseline expectation and performance that's going to get you enough points to probably win the Liga and potentially win other trophies. The difference is that with Fati being 19, being the talent that he is, even wearing number 10, he's good enough to wear that jersey. But you're right, the expectation, the pressure isn't on him game in and game out. It's for him to be that talisman over the course of a year and just to be with that representation of Barcelona's most important attacking talent and be that talisman when the number 10. And so that's the difference that Fati is going to, you're right, that Fati and the team in general, we're already seeing this season with young players, they put in stinkers because inconsistency is what plagues young players almost more so than individual mistakes, if you will, over the course of a year. So Barca is going to have some bad performances with how young the squad is and what the you know, the new core is going to look like as they learn and adapt and figure out how to not only play together, but to take on grown men who, I mean, when they play Real Madrid and El Clasico, I'm really interested to see what the starting ages of those two starting lineups are going to be, right? Because you're probably likely to see Real Madrid's starting lineup average age to be something like 28, you know, 28.5. And then Barcelona's is going to be 23.5, right? Because, you know, 34-year-old Busquets mm-hmm. and Pique are going to be out there and going to bring that number way up or an Alba likely too. So without those three, though, the rest of that starting lineup is going to be, you know, a 24 younger, uh, almost yeah. guaranteed. And then Messi Although Mad- Madrid Memphis also too has quite some young players. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's the point. But so, so I think that... Well, the I, guess they, they, I guess I have Casemiro and Benzema and Modric and Kroos if they play. Yeah. Right, which uh, and Courtois. So, and Courtois. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Danny Carvajal is healthy. So, I mean, you get the point. The, the average age is, is as mm-hmm. I said, 28 or something, because they have a, a bunch of 30-year-olds they start. So that, that'll be all classical, and the average age will be totally different because at this point, you know, these two teams are different cycles. That said, the expectations now, I don't think change with Fatih even coming back healthy that, you know, you still expect the depth and and the just the strength that Barca have as a, as a total squad, as a total unit, they should finish top three in the Liga. And the difference between Messi and Griezmann's Barcelona and this Ansu, you know, hopefully Dembele, Aguero, and Memphis, and, uh, you know, Luke de Jong, where they've seen those two Barcelonas is that this team still could limp their way to third place as opposed to, to fans expecting them to get guaranteed between first and third. But I still think this team is going to limp their way to third because they're going to get enough points over the course of a year. And I think it's funny to me that as Ansu does what he does and all of... It was funny because I was listening to Phil Kitschmelides who said that that the rest of Spain, it seems like, didn't care as much about Ansu Fati's thing as as Barcelona fans. Obviously, it was a time for, for Kules to rejoice. Obviously. But, but I think that actually is... That kind of doesn't... That says a quiet part out loud that Real Madrid did not get points, uh, got one point this weekend. Atletico Madrid lost to Alaves, who were the worst team in Spain four days ago or throughout throughout the rest of the year and looked like they were going to be the easiest relegated team. And then those two teams don't do well. And that actually gets overshadowed in the newspapers. That if if if, if Barcelona had gone out and got a one nothing win over Levante or put a you know a bit of a, a rough one, right? If they had just got one point in a one nothing or two one win, then the whole headlines around Spain would have been about how Atletico Madrid, the, the the past champions, got beat by the worst team in Spain, and Real Madrid coughed up some points that they should have won too. And that would have been the headlines if not for Ansu taking over everything. Right. And so I, I do find it's a, it's an interesting look in the mirror that don't forget the rest of Spain is struggling, that there is no giant in Spain this year. I'm, I was actually surprised. Well, I, I didn't um, hear him say that, but I'm surprised that you that, that he did because usually when Barcelona win, 
it does not make the cover of us. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, there are four sports dailies in Spain. Two of them are uh, heavily slanted towards Barca, uh, which are uh, Mundo Deportivo and Sport. Yep. The other two are nominatively more central or national, but they are based in Madrid. And rarely does Barcelona make the cover of those. They make the cover if they win the Champions League basically. Or maybe they make the cover if they win the league. And that's about it. Or if they have something bad to say about Messi. Messi is on the cover of uh, Marca or As. That's about it. And Ansu was on the cover of As yesterday after his goal. So for, for this person to say that people outside of Barcelona did not care about Ansu struck me as a bit, I wouldn't say weird, just surprising. Because I would never have expected Anzu to make the cover of us for yeah. coming back and, and, and scoring that goal. Of course, I cannot, I cannot judge what has happened in the rest of Spain. I just talked about uh, what has happened here in Barcelona with other culés and socios here, here in Barcelona. And we are all incredibly excited about it, obviously. Uh, an, another thing that I want to touch upon is if we limp into third, is it because, or if we lose a lot of points this season... Is it because we have youth players who are inconsistent? <laughs> or is it because of the Sergio Robertos? Yeah, I knew, I knew we were going with this. Who, and I, who are consistently underwhelming, underwhelming. Yeah, that's a great transition because I next on the rundown, I had Gabi and Nico because that's who we're going to talk about next. And I, you know, as funny as, as you say that, it's I don't want to try to galaxy brain it, right? Because we have been taught whether you read the, the ball is round or soccernomics or all the different intellectual soccer books or football books that are out there, you read them and there seems to be even uh, on the, you know, with between coaches that there's this adage that, you know, young players don't win games. But as you and I have been talking about and Francesca and I talked about for years, that the young player that we knew back in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s, that 17 or 18 year old is not the same as the 17 or 18 year old now who, and, you know, I watch a lot of NBA and you see that these kids are just so ready for the spotlight, so ready for the NBA. I mean, they, I mean, that's obviously a very much more individual game, only five players on the court. So you get to see who's ready for the bright lights and who's not. And these 18 and 19 year olds are so much more ready than they were in the early 2000s and the 90s when I started watching the game. And the same thing happens in football now. These young players are so much more ready even than, you know, when occasionally you'd get a 16 or 17 or 18 year old, a prodigy would pop in, but usually it would be in where? Ukraine or Romania or actually Barcelona just signed Emery Demir, who's the youngest player ever to score a goal in the Turkish league. And he'll come over next season even to, to Barcelona B. But yeah, let's 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 do Gabi now. That Gabi, uh, and it's it's un, almost unfair to Nico that Gabi got compared to Nico because Nico is assimilating, we'll say slower, but he also had a stomach bug last game. He really hasn't played uh, consistently, we'll say, between Barca B and the first team yet. He's he missed two games to injury or, or to, to illness, and even Nico three times yesterday he took the ball for a walkabout, meaning he went for a dribble, and he was successful every time he did that. We dribbled the ball more than ten to fifteen yards. Only misplayed three of his seventy six passes. He only took 92 total touches, did Nico, which means just 16 times did he touch the ball without giving it away immediately to somebody, to one of his teammates and kept the ball moving. And, and just that fluidity is so helpful for Gabi. That was 17 times, 67 touches for him, 44 of 50 on his passing. And then you compare that to what De Young did against Cadiz. For, for De Young, it was 23 touches without a pass, 53 passes in total, not all of those in, uh, exactly correct, 17, uh, 76 touches overall. 
So Nico, as as slow as he might be, we'll say to uh, to assimilate, he's still been really really good, and he was important against against Levante yesterday, who were very 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 bad. But to, to talk about Gabi, I think Ansu and Pedri have helped us understand what Gabi is. Ansu Fati was that good at 16. You don't have to overthink it or hype him up or go crazy about it. Ansu was that good. Pedri was that good at 17. And Gabi is this good at 17. I don't want to overthink it. The age, the age confuses us and makes us think that we shouldn't say that out loud. Gabi is that good. He is terrific. He is terrific. And you've seen him live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Gabi is just a baller. And it doesn't even matter, like, because he played on the right wing for big stretches of yesterday, of yesterday's game. No, he's not a right winger. Yeah, I couldn't believe well, it. When he started as a left interior, and then I, I started to notice that he switched over to the right interior spot, and then he's pushing up field. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, mm-hmm. what is this kid? Who does he think he is? Yeah, and, and it's the same as Pedri, where he just, he just knows where, where to position himself, and he just knows. He just knows. He just knows what to do. He's fearless. Like, I, I love how he challenges for the ball. Uh, I think we talked about this earlier, but uh, I've also seen it when I went to, uh, uh, went to see him in uh, the Jordi Cruyff Stadium with Kevin a couple of weeks ago. And there's just this fearlessness. Like, he, 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 goes, he goes hard. He goes in hard. He does not, like, hold back at all. He takes no prisoners when he wants that ball. And you also see it in the camp now. There's just fearlessness about everything that he does, whether it is passing the ball with the outside of his boot or whether it is trying to win a header or whether, you know, this challenging for challenging for a ball, he will go in studs up high. He's very dynamic and he moves like he, he moves fast and he moves a lot. So he brings that, he brings that energy to, to the pitch, which we really need uh, while all, at the same time doing it in, in a way that that is very compatible with how we play. Like he's, a stick and move type of player. So I, I really love that about him. And, you know, where can he improve? He can, I, I suppose he can shoot better and uh, finish better. Sometimes he goes for the pass instead of the shot. Uh, when he was one-on-one with, uh, with the goalkeeper, he tried to lob it, even though the goalkeeper kind of tricked him into lobbing it. But that's not even, that's not even a criticism because I'm just so much in love with the player. You know? Nico... What I really liked about Nico is that he started out poorly. His first 30 minutes, uh, he, was, he, he was suffering. He, he was losing duels. He was giving up the ball in, in, in bad, bad spots. And I was like, okay, wow. I expected more from him. He's young, not going to judge him. But what I loved about it is that the last 60 minutes, he played really well. And to do that, after your first start and starting poorly in, in the camp now with what must feel like a lot of people because of uh, the pandemic and now the camp now is slowly like having more people. There were still 35,000 people there. So uh, to actually recover from, from a very poor start where you're getting outfought for the balls, where uh, your opponents are getting the best of you and you are a young kid. Who, who is just starting in professional, uh, starting out in professional uh, football, to, to not be intimidated by those first 30 minutes and to actually like end the game being a huge asset to your team and, being, and, and 
beating out your opponents, whether it's in, in challenges or whether it's just in being smart and positioning yourself well and playing fluid football. Um, that was very, uh, very impressive, that mental fortitude, because, you know, it's not a secret that our team needs mental fortitude. And, you know, we get more of that from these young kids yeah. than from some of the veterans that well, are on the team. That's, that's why I don't want to be overreactive here in, in that as, as good as Gabi and Nico and Busquets were against Levante, because I think Busquets probably had his best game of the season too, next to Nico and Gabi. And it just looked so much better than, I mean, Sergio Roberto missed this game through a stomach ailment. And I, you almost, it's, it's, it's kind of true to say that I don't see how Sergio Roberto would have played better than Nico or Gabi. I, I don't see how he would have. I, I don't think he would have. Um, why why you know, would we still renew Sergio Roberto? Why would we offer him another contract? Why? Well, yeah, that's that's the next step, right? That's the next yeah. step, other than like whatever he's doing in the locker room or leadership or captaincy or but eventually move on. It does a captaincy is not mean that you have to be at a club forever. That's true. Now, uh, with I don't want to overdo though the thing about the Pedri because Pedri and De Young weren't there either. So I don't want to overdo the Gabi Nico Busquets. I know people have said that Busquets played really well because of the positioning of Ga- of Nico actually very close to him, where Nico mm-hmm. was making a lot more vertical, uh, a lot less less vertical runs than, than De Young usually does. So that position of Busquets yeah. in that midfield was so much more solid and stable. And on the other side of that, again, I don't want to overdo Gabi and Nico and Busquets too much because Levante were, I, I mean, this is just to my eye, they were so, so, so bad. I don't know when the last time I saw a, a team put up that kind of stinker at the Camp No, and that game could have been even uglier than 3 nothing. Obviously, it could have been a lot uglier than 3 nothing, but defensively, they were a mess. The Frutos was constantly missing or behind the play. The right side of that 4-4-2 that Levante had with Postigo, the right center back, was terrible. Miramon, the right back, was absolutely awful. Radoja, the defensive midfielder, was a mess. All three of them looked to me to be slow, unfocused. Yeah, it's a credit to Gabi and Nico and, and Busquets to really wear them down. And then out wide to the wings, let's do the Sergino Desting too, right? Sergino, oh. I think I think Gabi at his base, we saw against Bayern. Gabi was the same Gabi against Bayern that he was against Cadiz that he was against Levante. It's no change in the way that he was playing. But Serginho Dest from, from Granada to Levante was night and day. He was terrific yesterday as opposed to the, I wouldn't call it a disaster class, but just the mess that was his Granada and and Kadith performances. And I'm wondering how much I want to credit Dest here. I have all the numbers. I'm going to spit them out after you respond to me. But I, Levante was also terrible, and I don't know how much I can learn from Dest's performance because of just how bad Levante were. Okay, I want to talk about Sergio Dest, but I also want to talk a bit more about our midfield. Yeah, um, please. Which are we going to do first? Let's do midfield. Let's let's let's, let's put okay. a ball on that. So one of the things is that we conveniently leave out the fact that Coutinho was actually playing decent football, and he was also playing positioning well, playing close to everybody else. And no, no, totally keep, true. Keep, I, keeping listen, it, I keeping am, it simple. I'm so, um, I'm so capable. I'm not, I'm culpable of not giving Coutinho enough credit and I will continue to do so. But yeah, I'm so <laughs> culpable of that. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely yeah, right. And, I don't mention Coutinho when I should. You're right. And we all know that I'm not his greatest fan either. But what I think is really, really interesting is how Frankie de Jong should fit in all of this. Because you're right, Frankie de Jong stretches play a lot more. Uh, Frankie de Jong does not stay as close to, uh, to the others. He does not play that quick one-touch football that other players do. I think that technically he's capable of it. I think that intellectually he's capable of it, but he doesn't. Whereas if he would, 
then he could become so much better if he chooses his uh, his moments better to uh, to stretch play and he chooses his moments better to to keep it simple and to stay close to the other midfielders. So the, the question then becomes, where would you fit Frankie de Jong in this midfield or in the midfield one or two seasons from now or even in the next game? Is that a rhetorical question? If it is, I'm not convinced of the answer because I'm not sure. Of the, I, I have a couple I, I of think, ideas. But... I mean, it's, it's crazy to me that because Barcelona play every three games, I, I mean, it's not even, I don't have to, Kevin and I had this discussion about Busquets that Barca play every three games, every three days. Why is Sergio Busquets playing 90 minutes every three days? I mean, I understand that Frankie Dion got the red card, but I mean, for goodness sake, it's, I'm not trying to replace the guy in the starting lineup even, but they play so many games so often why is he starting literally every game all the time? He is the na- main captain, yes, but he's not messy in that captaincy. That I mean, every player should be rotated in some way. And so Frankie de Young is your, is, is your starting pivot. And then, I mean, with as many games as Barca play, Sergio Busquets is still going to wrangle in, what, 25 starts a year? If I mean, it, you know what I mean? Just by the presence of, of who he is, right? So it's like, I, I kind of don't like to answer that concretely because... If whether De Jong is playing as an interior or, and it's actually the same thing to the Nico point, actually. Nico's been a pivot with Barcelona B, and I think in the long run, Barcelona wants him to be a future pivot, but he's also made his debut with the first team and looked just fine and not behind it by playing as an interior. So to this idea that De Jong is, oh, is he the pivot? Is he the interior? I, I think sometimes I think myself out of that box a bit by saying, you know, well, he has to pick one and then Busquets is forever on the bench. And I don't think that's the case. I think it's that just rotate a little bit for goodness sake because Busquets is 34 years old. And I mean, how is he expected to, to play at the level three times a week for 90 minutes? So I would say that it, in, and because we always, they say this thing, right? That we're trying to build this team that you're going to start in a Champions League final. Well, this Barcelona is not going to be in a Champions League final. I don't think Busquets is ever going to be in a Champions League final again, unless what a lot goes right and a lot of luck happens. So I, I think it doesn't matter. You don't have to think about that. So who plays against Atletico Madrid? I mean, I, I guess you'd go Busquets and De Jong because you don't expect Atleti to try to break you through the middle. But, and, and again, why don't you just take a chance though? How about you do put De Jong as a pivot against Atletico Madrid and then you play Gabi and, and I mean, Pedri for, you know, and then see what happens against Atletico Madrid because that might be the midfield that has the, the mobility and the physical tenacity, believe it or not, to actually play to Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be, could be. I'm, and I'm not pretending to have the answer here. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just saying that in yesterday's midfield, it's kind of weird how, how challenging it is to imagine our best midfielder in that midfield and a midfielder who we all know is compatible with the way that Barcelona play. Uh, yeah. But then but yesterday's do you think the midfield... Young as a pivot would take something away from Gabi, Pedri, and, and potentially Nico as the interiors? Do you think De Young actually detracts from that a bit? No, but we haven't really seen him as a, as exactly. a lone pivot either. So I, I think yesterday was more of a double pivot with um, Busquets and, and, and Nico, yeah. uh, rather than Nico as interior. So I, I, I think, yeah, that, that could happen. Uh, at, at the same time, that's also why, why I started out by saying that uh, for De Jong to, to really become all that he can be uh, in, in this team with these players, he kind of needs to add to his natural skill set and adapt a little bit and, and play that one-touch game a bit more. 
If not, what I could really see him has, uh, see him uh, is uh, next to uh, Ronald Araujo as a center, center back. That could be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a tough pill to swallow for the likes of Eric Garcia, who is, I think, Barcelona's best ball-playing center back, but also defensively, as we've talked about many times before, just not up to it yet at the moment. Maybe PK could teach him a thing or two about positioning and he can improve without playing at the age of 20. But yeah, at this juncture, you would, in a, especially in a big, we're talking again, big games. That if it's if it's Alaves, if it's uh, even Rio, then yeah, of course. Like if you're going to have the ball for 80% of the time, start Eric Garcia. He's good enough to do that. But if you're playing against, again, I don't want to see, I, honestly, I don't want to see Eric Garcia in El Clasico because I don't want to see him targeted by Kareem Benzema and he will be. He's not ready for that kind of challenge, but he mm-hmm. can start in the Liga until PK, hopefully, can teach him a thing or two about positional defending and be, and not being, or or at least even in the air. Maybe Araujo can help him out and to teach him about how to win a header or win an aerial duel every now and again. And I mean, because aerial duels... How's, how, how's, he go, how's he going to do that? Lift him up? Well, no, because it's, I mean, I think it's about positioning. I mean, Gabi and Pedri have won more air or aerial duels this year than Luke de Jong has in total. And Gabi and Pedri are half his size. And those two win aerial duels because they put their body in the right position. So to it, yes, height does matter. That's why PK and Araujo win so many headers. But uh, if you're if you don't have the height, you've got to put your body and you've got to get it right. You've got to get it right two, three seconds before that long ball comes into effect. And Eric Garcia is too slow to recognize where his body needs to be in relation to that number nine prior to the long ball even being played. Well, I mean, Gavi wins wins balls in the air, but those balls in the air are not played to him. Those are balls that he can he can run at. And he yeah, can 50-50 like, balls, right, right. And, and, and he can really like throw himself at him. <laughs> that, that is not the same as receiving a long ball as a defender or defending a, a cross as a defender. In those situations, uh, everybody knows where the ball is going to be. What you then depend on, more, more even than your height, is your upper body strength. Yeah, and well, he's got to get in, hit the gym. He is 20. And, His body still might be growing. And Eric Garcia is is not there yet. Might yeah. might he get there? Sure. Uh, I don't think his positioning is bad at all. I think his positioning is very good. I think his anticipation is uh, is very good. Yesterday he anticipated a lot of balls and he won a lot of duels. Uh, he was fine defensively yesterday, but yeah, he needs he needs to gain some upper body body strength. I don't think that uh, neither Piquet nor Araujo. Uh, can teach him how to defend headers, especially because Piquet and Araujo use their incredible strength to to gain headers. So in in that sense, it's even more difficult for them to to teach Eric Garcia how to do it because... I mean, they're also considerably taller too. We're talking a few centimeters, a few inches. I mean, and that goes a long way. Yeah, Yeah. but I want to continue on that back line thing too, where I I said Levante were really bad. And so I do want to kind of pose the question to you. Was Sergino Dest that good yesterday and he helped make Levante bad or were Levante bad and Dest was able to take advantage of that? So let me give you his numbers real quick. 11 of 16 duels in the air and on the ground one. 11 of 16. That means, I mean, he was good defensively yesterday. And then what he did offensively gave Levante no choice but to double him. I mean, for the first time this season, there was a, the, the back line of the opposition had to bring a second man to, to help out with Dest because of what he was doing with his 1v1s. He was 92% on his passing. He delivered three key passes, was making good decisions, was perfect on his long balls even, was five for six on his dribbles. And I, against Granada, the number was 30. He gave the, bell, uh, the ball away against Granada 
30 times. And yeah, a lot of it was on crossing that and that had to do with the structure and the decision-making for the tactics. But against, against Levante in 89 minutes, he gave the ball away just 13 times. And that is a really, really, really good sign. That's, I mean, other than the two goals he scored against Real Sociedad, this was his best game for Barcelona. And that's not, I'm, that's not a hot take. I don't, I don't think at all that that's a hot take. That was his best game for Barcelona from an all-around perspective, even not counting the two goals against Real Sociedad. It might have been. He had a good game against Paris Saint-Germain as well in yeah. Paris. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was interesting. A lot of people say that it's because he played on the left. I'm not convinced that that is the reason. Uh, although maybe uh, maybe he uh, he combines very well with the pie. Maybe they have a good connection. I think um, it did. That's true. I think whenever he took the ball outside and had to cross with his left, that was like a lot of fun for the people in the second ring to try to catch the ball. <laughs> But other, other than that, yeah, he had such a good game. We, we see that so often where, you know, we know that he has dribble skills, but somehow when he does try to dribble past defenders, they, they make him look like a little boy and just kind of shove him off the ball. Whereas yesterday, yesterday was not like that. Yesterday was the complete opposite. And people always want left backs or full backs to, to be able to dribble. They can rarely really dribble not the way that Dest when he plays well dribbles they like they might dribble their way out of trouble they might dribble their way out of defense because it's different when somebody comes towards you and you use that momentum to then cut past them but Dest was actually able to take on defenders in in the opponent's uh, third which there are even a lot of forwards who cannot do who cannot dribble like that. So that is a very interesting uh, interesting weapon to have on the team. I think in general, it's very difficult to judge whether Barcelona played really well or Levante played really poor. A little bit of both. This is the same Levante that uh, Real Madrid dropped points to. Yep. Albeit Levante was at home that game, and that makes a difference. I just wish that Des played like this more often. I think the big recipe for success for Des that we saw yesterday, whether it's left or right, and I think Dembele might be a big, be a big, 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 big part of this. But if he has the confidence of somebody else on the wing with him, I think that that opens a lot of things up for him. And I think his spacing is better because I think when he's trying a one v one, when he's playing with Demir in front of him, in particular, as Demir is kind of in the way, or or Coutinho is trying to cut in the middle. He feels like there is, it seems like the space kind of shuts down on him and he feels like there's only one route. He he has to take one route to get to where he's going. But when he's playing with another winger next to him, having that that outlet at all times, I think kind of calms him down a bit to take hmm. on that 1v1, to have a number of different options of where he can go. And even the assist he had, that assist happens because as Memphis dropped deep on his wing, that space in the middle opened up for him. So the 1v1 he took on for the defender was not around with this formulaic overlapping run. He used his technical ability to get inside, and that's what created that space even as Luke de Young was creating the space in front of him. So it was a good run yep. by Luke de Young, but that all happens because Memphis overloaded his side and gave him an outlet and let him use his 1v1 to create that space by, by dropping deep. So I, I think... I'm interested to see with Ansu back if Des continues to be for a few more weeks until Alba comes back on the left, or even when he goes to the right, when Dembele comes back, what that duel is going to look like. Because if you remember, it wasn't it when he played well against Paris, it was Dembele in front of him, right? No, Dembele was uh, 
number nine in the three five two. Oh, in the right, he's playing and, that false nine thing, right? And, and Des was playing as a wing back. I think the other the other cool thing about uh, the second goal was that Memphis Memphis's movement gave uh, Dest the space to um, yeah uh, to burst through, but Gavi's movement gave Luke de Jong the open pass towards the goal. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I wanted to give Luke de Jong all the credit he possibly could 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 garner for that for that run. But yeah, so as as we wrap this up, I don't know how important Luke de Jong will be against Benfica, but now we have to say what we're expecting against Benfica with Ansu likely, I would say he might come on in the second half again. I wouldn't expect him to start. I think it's a little bit too soon, but you know, I still 30 minutes of Ansu Fati might be good enough <laughs> against Benfica and might empower this team a bit forward and might give him a bit of confidence. I mean, they are on the road, but Benfica, for those, the quick scouting report, they're back to topping the table in Portugal. They were bad last year, actually, by their standards. They were they had a down year, but it seems like they're back and firing. Darwin Nunez, the Uruguayan, who some people in our close Facebook group mentioned, you know, he's, he's playing on the wing, but he is a goal scorer. He's I'd say he's an up and comer, but he's already 22. So you, I, I, I think that his ceiling is like a uh, in a mobile in Serie A, where does he score a lot of goals? Yes, but you you know he's, he might be on certain lists, but you don't ever think of him as like a top goal scorer. So I think that's his ceiling. 22 year old Darwin Nunez, and then the new signing from Ghent, Roman Yermchuk. I think I got that right. A Ukrainian center forward. He's just a big body. Uh, he's been good for them as well. They both have four goals on the year. And then João Mario. From Inter is another big name who's returned to Portugal and he's their, their midfield maestro, whatever. And then Alejandro Grimaldo, who every, uh, Grimaldo rather, who everybody knows from La Masia, the left back. He's their set piece specialist and all that. He's been playing in a 4 3 3, uh, 3 4 3. There we go. A 3 4 3 out on the left wing. So expect him to, to you know, have a little bit of space and be an important player. That oh said, my God. If, if Grimaldo scores certain accounts, are going to be so unbearable. Agreed, agreed, <laughs> agreed. Mute, mute, mute your Twitter, Levon. You're going to be getting an argument, certain, certainly. But do you expect for the expectations for what Barca should do? The expectation is they get second in the Champions League group, regardless of how that happens. So if that means it's a, a narrow one nothing against Benfica, or it's a it's a zero zero in Portugal, and then they dominate at the Camp Nou, that's enough to get second in the group. And I almost want to temper the expectations here again because Benfica is a good team. I don't know what's going to happen. I think more, more interesting uh, than, than the score is how are we going to uh, approach the game? So I think it's almost certain that we're going to play Gavi unless Pedri is ready. I would not be surprised if Kuman then chooses Pedri. But I would say that with the rhythm that they have right now, you, you have to play Gavi because you know, he's just playing so well and who cares how old or young he is. Agreed. Um, he, he, he's playing better than anybody else. Then who are you going to play as forwards? You're going to you're going to play Memphis, and which other two forwards are you going to play? You might again, maybe you go with Gavi and Pedri, and you play Gavi on as a, as a right winger because Demir has been disappointing uh, the last couple of opportunities that he uh, that he had. Right? I mean, um, I think we see Luke to Young, Memphis, and Coutinho again. If I had to guess, I think that's what we see. But yeah, but would you play Coutinho? I mean. Was Coutinho better than Prish? I think the club believes that he is. Maybe. Is Coutinho better than uh, a combination of Pedri and Javi? I don't... I mean, I said it already. I, <laughs> I don't think so. But, I mean, I also think that Gabi having... 
I mean, for rotation sake, as I said, why is Busquets playing 90 minutes? We know that he's going to start. Why is Busquets playing 90 minutes? If you're, are you going to be afraid to play Gabby or have Gabby start three straight matches? I, I would say I, I wouldn't be, but they might be, there might be mm-hmm. something that we don't know about fitness or whatever behind the scenes. I yeah. mean, it's difficult to go from the Juvenile A level where you're playing against 16 year olds and then all of a sudden play against full grown adults within six months and then play nine, you know, 90 minutes or 60 minutes, whatever, every three days. Physically, just it, 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 that science has been proven that it does wear and tear on these players. We saw Pedri is, I mean, a prime example of what happens when you do that. But uh, Pedri was even playing in the, you know, in the second division with Las Palmas the year before he came to Barca. Gabi was literally playing, uh, you know, on these tiny pitches against 16 year olds like four or five months ago. So it is a bit, yeah. it is a big step up physically for your body, even if his, I'm not saying his skill set isn't ready to do that, but uh, physically he might not be able to do that or he shouldn't do that. Hmm. Okay. That would, that would be my guess. Why that would, if he doesn't start, that's my, that would be why I would assume he had to start. I would assume he doesn't, if it's, if he's good to go tactically, I think he starts no matter what, but I think if he's not starting, it's because of some kind of fitness or just, you know, just too much on a, on on a, on a young body too quick. In the end, like, you know, it's almost a must win game with the results against Bayern being what it is. Sure. Knowing that we have no no shot at winning the group, knowing the uh, how important it is financially to to make that extra money and make it to the second round, it's almost a must-win game for Kuman, right? So you play your best team. Now I understand why you give Coutinho chances. I would not have, but I understand why. And like I said, I thought he was decent yesterday, but. If you go by how your team has played and how your players have played, are you going to play Coutinho over Gavi? I don't think so. And I don't think that Kuman would do that. So the question then becomes, is Pedri fit or not? Well, for fitness sake, do you start your best? If you can only start at your best 11 against Benfica or Atletico Madrid, which do you start your best 11 against? Benfica. I, I, would, pri- I would prioritize the Champions League. Yeah, um, I agree with oh. you. That atle- oh. as, as as good as it would feel to be Atletico Madrid, there's a chance Atleti puts up a stinker where Benfica, the margin for error in Champions League is just mm-hmm. so narrow. I think yeah. I think you're right that it's a reminder too that if Barcelona beats you know whoever, Rayo and Alaves, and then on the same two weeks, Atleti draws Villarreal and loses to Valencia, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. You don't actually have to beat Atletico Madrid, but you exactly. have to beat Benfica one v one. So yeah, I, I understand that. I- and also, if you beat Benfica, no matter who you play against Atletico Madrid, you go into that match with more posit- positivity True. and more confidence. True. Right? Whereas if you mess up against Benfica because you rested some people, but okay, you, you're back in that negative spiral. And then you have to take that negative result and turn it into something positive against Atletico Madrid. You know, that's not easy. No, Diego Simeone eats positivity for breakfast. It's not in a good way. He doesn't spread it. <laughs> he literally takes your positivity, grinds it down into the paste and, and spoons it through, puts it on toast, and that's it. That's his breakfast every he, morning. Yeah, and then he spits it back out in your face. <laughs> yeah, classic Diego I, Simeone. But yeah, so it's going to be a tough test, Benfica and Atletico Madrid. Final word here, Levan? Biscar Barça.
yeah, so that's it. Uh, I think he said enough. This guy, Barca. So uh, Twitter, Instagram, at the Barcelona pod. Follow him at Barcelona. Close Facebook group, the Barcelona podcast. Answer the questions. I let you into the group. Patreon is how we continue to make these shows. Always appreciate you over there. And then the Barcelona podcast, I said we hit 7,000 subscribers on YouTube. So thanks for that. But I want to keep that number going up. So I, I might have something planned uh, special for 10,000. I can tell you that. So I, I was talking for many, many weeks about some surprise I might have in the near future. So I might have something planned for, or I will say a giveaway or something for, for number 10,000 for the YouTube. So a reminder to head over there and check us out. So thanks so much, so for listening to the Barcelona podcast here on the audio version. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca. Forza Barca. Adeo. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.